Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tonight, Joe Biden is making a fool of himself during his trip across Europe. You won't believe what came out of his mouth this time. Former White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley accompanied President Trump on many high-stakes foreign trips, and he is here tonight with some tough words for Joe Biden. And the Arizona election audit just hit a huge milestone. The hand counting is complete. So what does that mean? Drew Hernandez is our man on the ground in Arizona, and he will tell us all about it. And the media clutching their pearls over the new Delta COVID variant that they say will cause another spike in COVID cases in the fall. But are the experts going to be proven wrong yet again? We go through all of that and more tonight on Dr. Gina Primetime. Good evening. I'm Dr. Gina and welcome to Prime Time. So glad to have you with us. Joe Biden still excited for his big meeting with Putin tomorrow. Jill Biden says he's been prepping for weeks, remember? And we got a little glimpse into how that prep is going. Here's Biden earlier today at the EU-US summit. And uh, I've said before, and I apologize for the people. Oh, I didn't have to I'm leaving out a lot of people here. I apologize. I'm going to get in trouble. But anyway, we'll get back to that. But um, uh, we, um, uh, you know, there's a lot that uh, that is 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 happening. So there's your little taste of what Vladimir Putin is going to get from Joe Biden tomorrow. It's embarrassing and dangerous for the most powerful man in the world to be in that cognitive state. But Biden did perk up a little bit at various points during this trip. He was asked by a reporter how America's allies could trust him when he says that America was back because they don't know if they can trust the U.S. to be good after electing Trump. And Biden was more than happy to smear Trump and Trump supporters on this international trip amongst our enemies. Listen. And I think that they have seen things happen as we have that shocked them and surprised them that could have happened. But I think they, like I do, believe the American people are not going to sustain that kind of behavior. I think it's appropriate to say that um, the Republican Party is vastly diminished in numbers. The leadership of the Republican Party is fractured, and the Trump wing of the party is the bulk of the party, but it makes up a significant minority of the American people. It is a shock and surprise that what's happened in terms of the consequence of President Trump's phony populism has has happened 
Let's break down what he just said. He meant, don't worry, European elites. I know you hate Trump and his supporters, and I do too. But there aren't very many of them. They're actually a small minority, and there are fewer of them every day. And that whole movement is phony anyway. Mr. Biden, that was not the place to talk about our internal political struggles. You don't do that. And Biden is absolutely wrong about Trump supporters and the MAGA movement dwindling down to a small minority. It's growing with a roar. And if he believes that, he is more out of touch with reality than most of us even thought. Now, the last time Democrats held the House, Senate, and the presidency was when Biden and Barack Obama were in the White House. And it's because of them and their socialist policies that the Tea Party movement was born. The Tea Party movement, which ultimately then became the MAGA movement. Joe Biden and Barack Obama created the movement that brought Trump into power. And Biden is repeating history for us once again. That's what liberals do. But the conservative movement in America is a much more powerful, in a much more powerful position now than it was back then when Obama and Biden were elected. Let's remember, back in 2008, when Obama and Biden won the White House, they had huge majorities in the House and Senate. Democrats had a 78-seat majority over Republicans. Right now, Democrats can almost count their majority on one hand. And the Democrats held a 60-seat filibuster-proof majority in the Senate, you'll remember. And when you look at the state level in 2008, Democrats dominated at the state level as well. In 2008, 29 states had Democrat governors compared to the Republicans' 21 governorships. And Democrats dominated state legislatures. But thanks to Obama and Biden and their overt socialist agenda, the conservative movement came to life like never before. The Tea Party movement was born and Democrats started losing seats as people woke up for real. They lost on the national level, the Democrats, all the way down to the state level. Obama and Biden ended up presiding over a time in America when Democrats lost 1,000 seats all the way from the local level up to the House and Senate in Washington, D.C. Remember that? Now, by the end of the Obama-Biden presidency, the Democrat seats in the United States fell from 60, clear down to 48. And in the House, Democrats lost 62 seats by the end of the Obama-Biden regime. Now, on the state level, Democrats lost 12 governorships and a whopping, listen now, 958 seats in state legislatures. Obama, Biden, and, the social, and socialism itself are what killed the Democrat Party and gave us the MAGA movement and President Trump. By the end of the reign of Obama and Biden, Republicans flipped 13 of the 50 state governorships and ended up with a whopping 34 GOP-controlled governorships thanks to Obama. And Republicans, thanks to Obama and Biden, took full control of 26 states where Republicans held the House, Senate, and the governor's seat in, 20, in that same 26 states. That's called a trifecta. And Democrats only held a trifecta in five coastal states by the time Obama and Biden were done showing America what Democrats really wanted to do to this country. And by the end of the Obama years, Republicans held a trifecta in, get this, 26 states, while Democrats only held total power in five, you might have guessed it, 
coastal states. Now, Obama and Biden helped to wake up the conservative movement, and Biden is doing the same thing again. Barack Obama's greatest accomplishment was giving us Donald Trump. So what will Joe Biden give us in the next two elections? It's fun to think about. Republicans still hold control of the majority of state legislatures and governorships, unlike back then. Republicans start off these upcoming elections with a tie in the Senate and just a handful of seats away from a House majority. And in 2020, looking at the county level, Donald Trump won 2,588 counties versus 551 counties won by Joe Biden. Biden was as wrong as he has ever been about anything he has ever said when he said the MAGA movement is a small minority. The Republican Party is now the America First MAGA Party, and it isn't small or fractured or in trouble at all or going anywhere. Mr. Biden, your party is battling right now between the anti-Semites, the anti-police race baiters, and the old guard elite who are scared to death of the squad and the radicals in your party. Mr. Biden, you are presiding over the worst border crisis we've ever seen. And the border issue is what put Donald Trump in the White House in 2016. So you better have fun right now, Joe, while uh, you still can. Sip a little champagne, waddle around with the parties, with the world leaders while you still have your title. Because if Kamala doesn't take it from you soon, the voters will definitely take that title from you in 2024 if not before. Coming up, we will show you more of the former White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley and what he has to say about his time in the White House and how he would be reacting right now in this Joe Biden administration. He's here with a major warning for Joe Biden as he walks into this meeting this week that we've told you all about. Stay with us. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. So glad that you are with us. Hey, don't forget. If you are watching us, you can also listen on our podcast. You can go to justthenews.com and click on podcasts up in the corner, little hamburger up there, and scroll down to you see my face, this one, and that will put you right on my podcast. There are lots of other great podcasts offered there as well, so check it out. Tomorrow, Joe Biden is headed into his meeting, as you know, with Vladimir Putin. It promises to be sort of epic uh, in the way that he's been confusing and uh, confused and waddling around the G7 and the other meetings across Europe this week. Putin has to be sort of excited about what concessions he can squeeze out of Joe. This is not a man who's inexperienced for sure. And here with me now is former White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley. Hogan, great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Dr. G. Great to be with you. Hogan, Biden was asked by CNN's uh, Jeff Salemi about if he still believes Vladimir Putin is a quote-unquote killer. Here is his nonsensical answer. What do you say to Vladimir Putin? <laughs> answer the first question? <laughs> I'm laughing, too. They actually, I... Well, look, I mean, he has made clear that... Uh, uh, The answer is, I believe he has in the past essentially acknowledged that he was uh, 
there are certain things that he would do or did do. Just wow. Hogan, I honestly don't even know what he said, but I'm going to let you react to that. I don't know what he said either, um, but I haven't known what Joe Biden's been talking about for decades now, so that's nothing new. This is so scary, uh, not just for the United States, but for the United States on a global scale. Again, whenever a president of the United States actually speaks, it's not just the American people who hear, it's not just our media who critique it, it's the world. And every time Joe Biden seems to open his mouth, there is another problem. There is a wide open um, you know, hole for which the rest of the world can drive all of their programs through that Joe Biden is allowing to happen. This global tax he's pushing for, no wonder all of the leaders at NATO were smiling uh, from ear to ear the entire time. They knew the gravy train was back on the tracks. Donald Trump did something I think so many people forget about, and that is making other countries pay their fair share. We were no longer the world's piggy bank, as President Trump put it. He stood up strong for the American people, put the American people first, put our companies, put our businesses on the front burner. Joe Biden is a globalist who is going to put our businesses on the back burner. He has a record of putting the American people last. He's done so with his policies as president. He's done so for the last 50 years in elected office, whether it be with China or other nations. You saw that on full display in NATO. Forget the fact for a moment he gets Syria and Libya mixed up. Forget the fact for a moment that he's caught wandering around into weird places. And his staffer had obviously seen this kind of behavior from the president before because she went up and grabbed him by the hand and led him out of the, the lunchroom. It was so odd and so weird. Forget all that for a minute. His policies are detrimental to the future of this country. And when he goes and meets with someone like Vladimir Putin, we know how tough he is. We know how strong he is. Donald Trump put Vladimir Putin and Russia in their place, being tougher on that area, uh, being tougher on that leader than Barack Obama and Joe Biden ever thought about doing. And let's not forget, the Democrats were adamant about the fact that Russia interfered in our 2016 election, which they did. They're, they understand uh, Russia's aggression across the world. They did nothing about it. The track record is always already there. Joe Biden has always talked a good game. His actions are always awful. And quite frankly, I'm worried for the future of this country. I'm worried about tomorrow and the meeting between those two leaders because Joe Biden is a shell of himself at best. At best. You know, it seems to me, Hogan, like he's declining at a very rapid pace. I have several families who've gone through, you know, cognitive, uh, you know, degeneration in various forms, Alzheimer's and other things. And um, it seems like um, it almost has picked up the pace, perhaps with the stress of the office. Who knows? There's immense stress in that sort of office. Um, Kamala has to be chomping at the bit here, or maybe she isn't, because there are a lot of crises that they have to navigate. And so far, she's proven herself to be pretty incompetent as well. Um, so maybe she just wants Joe to stay put. But what is your guess, as someone who's been behind the scenes, Hogan, um, and just watching the players and the, and the chess pieces moving, if that's even happening, <laughs> if it's chess at all, if it's more like checkers, I, I'm just curious what your analysis is as to Kamala's intent, uh, where Joe is, and, and what's really going on behind the scenes to the best that you could guess. Well, the Democrats are in serious trouble. They're obviously uh, fractures within their party apparatus. You saw that with the anti-Semitic comments again and again and again from the squad. 
someone like Nancy Pelosi letting it happen, not really putting forth any disciplinary action. You have a president in Joe Biden who a lot of people think is not going to finish out the rest of this term because they're going to usher in Kamala Harris in, in some form or fashion. I hear a lot of people up on the Hill talking about it. I even heard reporters tell me privately they think that's a strong possibility. And I think Democrats wow. have to be concerned, not just from the from the um, legislative side of it, but in the executive branch as well, because you saw Joe Biden fall flat on his face, you know, in reality going up air, the steps of Air Force One, but also figuratively on the global stage at NATO. But you also saw Kamala Harris as a complete and utter total unmitigated disaster as she went down to the southern border. You saw her get manhandled by other countries. Mm -hmm. um, you saw no plan, a, a complete lack of understanding of the crisis that the American people are fading, uh, facing, that our communities face, with, with uh, almost a million people having flooded into this country along our southern border in just half of a year. She could not handle any of that. And when asked a simple question by the press that you obviously knew she was going to get asked. She does that little nervous, odd laugh, tries to get out of it, changes the subject and says, hey, you know, I, 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 yeah, I haven't been to the border, but I haven't been to Europe either. Some weird comment like that that makes no sense whatsoever. And then on top of that, she pointed to something uh, that she was focused on on that trip, which was the root causes, quote unquote, the root cause of the migration. OK, that's fine. And that's legitimate. We should look at that. We did in the Trump administration for sure. We had a lot of meetings about that, but that's a long-term situation, a long-term strategy that's needed to fix that issue. She didn't even talk about the crisis facing the southern border of the United States right now. And as we've said many times, you're not a country if you don't have a border. So the legislative problems notwithstanding, the, the executive problems notwithstanding, the Democrat Party has some serious issues moving forward. And I think the American people see it and they definitely, definitely feel it in their pocketbooks because of inflation and because of all the other problems we've seen with gas prices and, and you know, hacking from Russia on our, our meat supply and our gas supply. We've all felt the Democrat policies. And I think in large part, the American people are starting to realize they don't want them anymore. Okay, there's an increasing uh, phrase that Joe Biden uses. And it, it, it almost reminds me of, you know, having done therapy in years past where you hear a child um, mention things in passing over and over again. And you as a therapist would start to cue in on those because you would you would think, well, OK, if the child continues to mention uh, certain things, it might he might be talking about what's happening to him behind the scenes. And during this trip, there are numerous times even where Biden has been worried about getting in trouble with his staff and mentioned it out loud. Listen. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to get in trouble with staff. I don't do this the right way. Jennifer Jacob Bloomberg. I'm going to get in trouble with my, my staff. Yeah, go ahead. But I pretend that you didn't answer you. Thank you very much, sir. You have often said uh, repeatedly that America is back. Yes. Uh, at the same time, you've kept in place some Trump-era steel and aluminum sanctions. And I wanted to ask you, when you're having these conversations with European allies who are very concerned about these sanctions, how do you justify that? And what are your plans? To 120 make? days. Give me a break. Need time. Honestly, if, if, if there were a child 
um, repeating this phrase over and over again that he was going to get in trouble, I would worry about what was going on at home. And I would be looking deeper into that and possibly even uh, writing some sort of report on this. Why does he keep saying he's getting in trouble with this staff? Do you think this is some sort of cry for help? We've talked about elder abuse, but this might not be funny if he really is so mentally incompetent that when he gets behind closed doors, he's getting yelled at or taken down in some way by his uh, staff when he talks to the press. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not funny. And look, don't blame the comm staff. Everyone tries to blame comm staffers first. Don't do that on this show. <laughs> Um, look, the principal has a responsibility here, and it's pretty obvious that Joe Biden has been given scripts. Again, not surprising. He did this during the campaign. Everyone knew it. Everyone saw this coming. Uh, the questions were scripted. The answers were scripted on teleprompters. He couldn't get through those nine times out of ten. You're seeing this now play out behind the presidential podium. And to me, th that's what's so confusing. Oftentimes, we would tell Donald Trump, sir, here's who's in the room today because they have a limited number of people. Here's who has said some bad things about you this week. Here's who's written some good stories, some fair stories. It's up to you. And they would, you know, he would kind of laugh and say, now, which one was mean to us? Which one wasn't good to us? And I would point him out and he'd say, okay. And he'd wink and he'd go onto stage and then call on that person first. He relished in the fight. He wanted to have those conversations. And I think Joe Biden doesn't want to have the conversations because he can't. But that being said, you're also dealing with a sycophantic press corps. So they're going to cover up right. for all of his mistakes. They're not going to ask him uh, any hard questions at all. But I want to key on the last thing he said, which was, give me some time, man. Come on. It's been 120 days. This guy has been in an elected office for a half of a century. The entire campaign from his basement, he said repeatedly, I have plans for all of this, which again, to me, seemed a little bit sick and vile that if you knew how to fix coronavirus, why didn't you tell everybody? And it was only predicated on whether or not you won. And then when he actually won, he said, ah, the virus is going to have to play itself out. We were like, wait, what? You said you had a plan for these things. So the fact he's now trying to delay and say, I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it. He's already been in positions of power. If only he'd been in the executive branch for, oh, I don't know, eight years. He was. He knows how this works. He knows what he wants to do. He's just not doing it. And I'm having a tough time figuring out if he's trying to go back to being a little bit more moderate, if he's already embraced all the radical ideology of the left. But we've heard time and time again now from Republicans, they've met with Joe Biden. He's given them promises and worked on conditions for different pieces of legislation and then gone back and staff have turned him off of those negotiations. So it's very interesting to see how controlling staff is with Joe Biden, because Lord knows we were not controlling of Donald Trump. I didn't ever get a single vote. Donald Trump got those votes. So what I was supposed to do is make his job easier. He's the one who carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. Joe Biden seems to be uh, you know, having a difficult time carrying that weight. In fact, it seems like every time he opens his mouth, it's obvious he's being crushed by it. Mm. Hogan, um whenever a child is accused of something, the natural response from an immature mind is to use projection. And Biden has, from the very, very beginning of this presidency, um, blamed everything on Trump and tried to just undo everything that Trump did, even almost in an irrational manner. And in some cases, as you know, where he's had to go back and correct it and say, actually, what Trump was doing was working pretty well. Right. We're going to go back to that now because that was really dumb. Um, but on this particular trip, this is very upsetting to me. Biden trashed Trump supporters during this international trip. So not classy. 
breaking, parting big ways with a, a, an understood manner of protocol. We showed the clip a little earlier in the show, um, but to trash Trump supporters in an, on an international uh, forum like this, um, what is your reaction to Biden diminishing Trump and Trump supporters and Republicans in general during this international trip? And if I recall in that clip, he made the point something like the core of the party are Trump supporters, but that's a small core. 75 plus said, million correct. people, yes. 75 plus million people voted for Donald Trump. Does he have any idea what he's talking about? And also, you let us worry about the Republican Party. We got it under control just fine. We're the party uh, of success for every single American, regardless of race, religion, color, or creed. We just saw it in the Republican policies that we put forward. We saw energy independence. We saw rebuilding the middle class and companies flooding back into this country. We saw getting back hostages at a record pace. We saw success that we had never seen in this country before for every single American. We saw opportunity zones for African-Americans. We saw record-setting uh, money being funded to HBCUs. And Joe Biden can't point to any of those things. In fact, I outlined some of the problems that were going on with the Democrat Party that you're, see, you're seeing play out in real time. I'm not going to pretend to prescribe pres uh, you know, uh, solutions for those issues. That's up to the Democrats and the leader, Joe Biden, to do. And it seems like he's failing miserably. But you let us worry about the Republican Party, which, by the way, is poised to take back the House in 2022, and I guarantee you is on, path, uh, is on a path to take back the presidency in 2024. Hogan, the press is complaining about their access during this trip as well. When Biden met with the Turkish president, the press pool was shut out. And CBS's Ed O'Keefe tweeted that he had to watch the Turkish Twitter feed to get updates as they stood out in the hallway, the American press. That's another embarrassment. Not anything like the Trump White House that gave the press the most unfettered access I've ever seen. And, and I've been there when he did it. And you were there the whole time. It was yeah. it was unbelievable, the level of transparency. And yet... Also, the other part of this that really bothers me is the press's, as you mentioned earlier, complicity in protecting Joe Biden when they know that he's that nothing about this administration is forthright. Well, look, I think it's more than uh, the press trying to, uh, you know, shape a narrative with their coverage. Actually, they want they want the outcome. They want the policies that align with Democrats to be enacted. That's why they cover Joe Biden the way he they do. Now, to say they don't get access on foreign trips, I've been on these foreign trips, many of them. They do complain about access. That's pretty standard. But you couldn't complain about access with Donald Trump because, as you know, he would give them sound bites in two-hour cabinet meetings in the middle of the day. He'd do a 45-minute you know, press conference uh, in front of Marine One uh, before he took off on a trip for a two-and-a-half-hour rally. A lot of times, he'd go back on the plane and talk to folks. Often on foreign trips, he would usually end those trips with some type of uh, you know, multi-hour-long press conference bringing up a lot of our cabinet secretaries, whether it be Pompeo, uh, Steve Mnuchin, or others, to have conversations about the successes they had on those trips. Because, look, we understand the pomp and circumstance. That's important. The American people need to see their president interacting with other foreign leaders. But the work gets done behind closed doors. What Donald Trump was able to do on behalf of the American people was nothing short of historic. It provided us the means to, to access record-setting success, which we did with regularity, making trade deals that benefited American people for the first time in a long time as opposed to foreign powers. So it remains to be seen what he's getting 
the country, what he's getting the American worker and getting for the American people inside those meetings. I hope it's something, but so far I've seen nothing except placating and making promises to other nations to, to make sure that they are, are doing uh, far better off than the American people are. And giving away a lot of American taxpayer dollars. Joe Correct. Biden uh, says that the Republican Party is fractured, but we know that's really not true. 95% or more of the party is actually pro-Donald Trump and sees him as the leader of the party. This is really unprecedented, especially for a president who's not currently sitting, right? And the very few anti-Trump congressmen um, who are out there are probably looking at being replaced, if we're honest about it. Breitbart's reporting that MAGA candidates are stepping up to primary nine of the 10 GOP congressmen who voted to impeach Trump after he left office. So that doesn't sound like a very fractured party to me. On the other hand, you look at uh, the anti-Semite squad and uh, the whole Bernie faction and uh, all of the border faction, because you have people from border towns, representatives from border towns who don't like uh, the fact that Joe and Kamala are not not addressing any of uh, the border concerns and things like that, and not even to mention the economic abysmal uh, uh, details that we're looking at right now coming down mm -hmm. the pike at us. Um, and, and this really, it looks to me like another case of projection, but I want you to comment on the fractured party comment. As it relates to Joe Biden talking about our party? Because yes. I think we're pretty yes. united, and we've talked about this before on your show uh, Gina, and it has to do with the fact that this party, regardless of who's at the head, have unilaterally, universally decided that they like Donald Trump's Make America Great Again mantra. They like mm -hmm. his America First agenda because we were all able to prosper under it. We know it is successful when our leaders say to heck with the rest of the world's policies, we need to make sure the American people are protected first and foremost with a strong military, which Donald Trump rebuilt, with strong economic policies, which Donald Trump enacted with lower taxes for the American people, but also businesses so we can open them back up in this country, with so many other things that our, our friends and our partners and allies around the world understood that we stood tall and we stood with them that we, are, we were more loved, more feared, and more respected under President Trump than we've ever been uh, in, the, in the history of this country because of his leadership and because of that strength. And, and so for us as, as a Republican Party, we're looking for who is next. If Donald Trump doesn't want to run for president, we've obviously got to look for someone else. But the, uh, the party as a whole, and I've been a part of it now you know, in, in politics for 25 plus years, the party as a whole is in really strong shape because we know the direction we want to go in. Now, when we decide to pick a leader to take us there, whether it be Donald Trump or, or somebody else, that's obviously going to be an interesting conversation to have. But I think we know where we want to go because we've seen those successes and we want to get back to those because it doesn't just benefit Republicans. It benefits everybody when your leader is strong and the world understands the United States is open for business. Yeah. And even even actually people around the world benefit when America is strong because uh, we are the ones that stand right uh, point. Uh, unequivocally for liberty more than anyone else. Hogan Gidley, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thanks so much.
Coming up, the hand count of the regular ballots in the Arizona election audit is complete. So what does that mean? When will we know the results? Drew Hernandez is on the ground in Arizona, and he is with us next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Stay put. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. We have some big news in the Arizona election audit. The hand recount has finished. What does this mean? Well, luckily, we have boots on the ground in Arizona. Drew Hernandez has been on site at the audit monitoring it all along, and he joins us right now. Drew, what does this headline mean, and when do we get to know what the auditors found? Gone through, just to give scale to viewers at home, they have gone through over 2.1 million uh, general ballots. Now, they still have a few boxes of military overseas ballots, uh, some ballots in Braille, some duplicated ballots as well that they need to go through. Uh, but for the most part, they have completed uh, counting over 2.1 million ballots. Now, that's a lot of data they still have to go over. Uh, the forensic data and the forensic report, they have to go over all the data they've accumulated of over 2.1 million ballots uh, these past couple months. Uh, so some insiders have communicated to me that a forensic report will be delivered uh, to the Arizona Senate either by July or August at the latest. So I know everybody at home wants to know the results. I mean, I do too, but we will see some results coming very soon because uh, that's a lot of data they got to go through, Dr. Gina. They do the recount, but now they got to go through all the forensic data that they've accumulated and found uh, of over 2.1 million ballots. So I think that's where we stand uh, right now as we speak uh, with the audit here in Arizona. Okay, and we don't really know anything about what they found yet. Not yet. They will, res they will release those results to the Arizona Senate, and then it's up to them when they want to release them and how they want to release them uh, with the specific findings. I think that's kind of the main event what everyone is waiting for uh, to hear from, uh, but it's a very delicate situation. It's a very secure uh, situation. Uh, what's being left out in the media as well, and I want to add here, is uh, they're actually taking uh, extra precautions to make sure that no phony ballots uh, were actually even inserted in this audit. So when you hear in the media saying that it's not secure or it's, uh, it's an incompetent audit, they're taking serious steps to make sure that there haven't even been any ballots added to this audit. So it's a very extensive process. It's a lot of data to go through. A forensic report is a very serious issue. And once the Senate has it, it'll be up to them when they want to release it to the public. And I'm pretty sure we're all excited to hear the results, Dr. Gina. No, absolutely. And we don't really have a timeline on that. Um, as of right now, uh, the timeline that I've been given is either the report will be released uh, by July or August at the latest from the insiders okay. that I've been communicating with on a daily basis. All right. Well, Drew, I appreciate the update. I know you'll keep us informed. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Now, over in England, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson was about to reopen the country, but he screeched the brakes there. He says they can't reopen fully because of the Delta variant of COVID-19. And here in the U.S., the media is whipping up the hysteria as well over this Delta variant. The NPR headline calls it highly contagious and says it is on the rise. So fear worked so well the last time around when we had elections. 
we wonder what they're going to do with this Delta variant and how real it is when we apparently couldn't trust the medical experts the last time around. Here with me now to break this down, Dr. Tom Borelli. Tom, great to have you. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Dr. Gina. Great to be back again. Tom, of course, Fauci won't be left out of the Delta variant hysteria. He says we must just keep getting people vaccinated like crazy, even though there is debate over which vaccines, if any, actually supposedly prevent this variant. What do you know about this? So, Dr. Gina, what we've known since actually COVID appeared that uh, as per all viruses, they mutate and they change. There's been different variants. We had the UK variant not long ago. Now there's this uh, variant in India, which according to Dr. Gottlieb uh, in the FDA, who former FDA commissioner, he was on CBS News, he said it was 60% more transmissible and that it had a higher viral load. So. Technically, you know, that would be of concern, but we have to remember the whole game plan of the entire Trump administration was to get people vaccinated and the end goal really is herd immunity. Once you get to about 80%, 80% of people who have either had the vaccine or have had the virus and beat it, you get to this magic number they think is around 80%. And according to uh, Dr. McCary of John Hopkins University, he wrote a Wall Street Journal piece. We're at that 80% when you add those who have been vaccinated and those who have had uh, natural immunity. So that is really good news. And as far as what we know with this new variant, the vaccines seem to be between 77 and 88% effective. So there's really no real absolute cause for alarm at this point. We haven't seen a mutation that escapes uh, the vaccines. So that's really good news. We just need to focus on the goal, and that is getting to herd immunity, and it looks like we're there. So again, herd immunity means so many people are basically immune, it's hard for the virus to jump around. Right, but we hear really mixed reports. I'm hearing, you know, reading that some, some vaccines work better than others for this new right. variant. Um, as you mentioned, former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb went on CBS and said that the Delta variant will cause the pandemic to spike in the fall. I want to play that video. So this is more contagious. Um, it appears that people who get this virus have higher viral loads, and they have those viral loads for longer periods of time, so they shed more virus. Right now in the United States, it's about 10% of infections. It's doubling every two weeks. So it's probably going to become the dominant strain here in the United States. That doesn't mean that we're going to see a sharp uptick in infections, but it does mean that this this is going to take over, and I think the risk is really to the fall that this could spike a new epidemic heading into the fall. Tom, it sounds like they are gearing up for another lockdown or more mask mandates. I fear we will be stuck in these uh, face covers forever. What do you think on this? <laughs> well, let's hope not. <laughs> we know, uh, given the power of some governors, especially the governor's area the, in that space, they certainly like to exert their control. If the big risk that I see, if you could find like pockets of uh, certain populations in certain cities where they don't have that herd immunity, where people really haven't been vaccinated and it hasn't been to that high number. So you might see a little spike, I, you know, in certain areas, but I can't see a national uh, epidemic uh, like Dr. Gottlieb uh, referred to, at least not at this point. So. 
Look, when you're looking at public health officials or former public health officials like Dr. Gottlieb, look, they're uh, they're really trained to warn the public because from their perspective, it's safer that way. And if they're wrong, everybody's safe. If they're right, they can't be accused of downplaying a risk. So that's right, basically right, exactly. the way public health, if the, you know, and, and I don't have a problem with that as long as you have the ability to challenge, you know, some of those premises. And I think this really goes back to the immense failure of Dr. Fauci. And this is what's so weird and bizarre and even twisted to me. Fauci downplayed this virus up until March. Now contrast that with what Gottlieb just said. If Fauci was sounding the alarm earlier on, he might have been backing the uh, travel bans like President Trump did and, and former trade advisor Navarro wanted. It, and my view on Fauci is he was in somewhat denial or perhaps fear that the virus did come from the lab and that he knew somehow he was connected to that lab so that he could eventually be tied to the pandemic. That's the only yeah, ex explanation I could find where a public health official who's been in there for decades would downplay a risk. That is really different behavior. Yeah, well, it's interesting because this former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, also then went on to blame unvaccinated, I love this part, Southerners and children, listen. I think in parts of the country where you have less vaccination, particularly in parts of the South, where you have some cities where vaccination rates are low, there's a risk that you could see outbreaks with this new variant. The outbreaks that are happening in the UK are happening around schools where you have a lot of unvaccinated children. Tom, they won't be happy until 100% of people, including children and probably babies, take this experimental vaccine, will they? It seems like that. And, you know, I don't think we actually need that. Again, as long as you get to herd immunity, which I think we're there, according to Dr. Makari, I, th I think that's good enough. And as far as, far as children go, as, all the data I have seen is they do a really good job of essentially kicking the virus to the curb. <laughs> you know, thank God. Imagine if it was the other way around. So I don't think we're really at the point where you really need to vaccinate children. Obviously, it's the parent's choice, but you, you don't really need it. Because what we also found out that, as you know, you've, you've had the virus, I believe, and, and you recovered and now you're immune. And the latest studies have shown that if you had the virus, you're immune, that would go going forward, and that would go for children as well. So I, you know, I, I do question at this point the really need to vaccinate children to the degree that you know people like Dr. Gottlieb are uh, hinting at. Again, time will tell, but we'll, if, if things change, you know, we already have the vaccines in motion. It was incredible with, under former President Trump, Operation Warp Speed, we're able to get a vaccine in like eight or nine months, which was just in, unheard of. And now that vaccine is being given to the rest of the world. All right, Dr. Tom Borelli, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. All right, coming up, we have some news you didn't know, and we're going to show you what Hollywood lefty took a red pill, apparently, during COVID. That's next, right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes 
without the ads. It's time now for some news you didn't know and here to help as always from our RAV headquarters in Denver, Colorado, Jessica Rivera. Jessica, always great to see you. Good to see you too, Dr. Gina. And we all remember back in March when the mega Freightliner, the Ever Given, ended up getting stuck sideways in the Suez Canal for days, a disaster that caused never before seen disruption to global shipping in the Suez Canal. Once the Ever Given was dislodged, it and its crew were not able to just go ahead to their destination, but instead they were all seized by Egyptian authorities, to which many believed would be for a short time for Egypt and Panama, who is the ship's owner, to work out the $550 million fine Egypt was expecting from the ship's government or insurer. But that's not what has happened. The Ever Given and its crew are still floating in limbo close to three months later. Nobody wants to take responsibility for the disruption, so until there's an agreement met, the ship and its crew will stay at sea afloat in Egypt. But Dr. Gina, if this wasn't crazy enough, I found out this is actually not unusual in the world of global shipping. As a matter of fact, this is nothing compared to some stories like one ship that has been at sea for two years with its crew. Or when some governments refuse to pay the fines to get their ships and crew back, so they actually just abandon them all. These poor people, who mostly come from the world's poorest nations, are then expected to figure out how they will continue to eat, get off the ship, and get back to their country, mind you, with no money because they aren't being paid and they no longer have jobs. There have also been times when a government will not get paid by the ship's owner, the government, so it will take the crew and imprison them until they actually get their money or indefinitely. For crimes, these people, these seafarers, are not guilty of. So Dr. Gina, it's absolutely crazy. And if we didn't have enough injustices in the world, here is just another one we can add to that list that I'm sure the average person has no idea even exists. Absolutely no idea. Wow, unbelievable. Well, that's what you do every night is bring us news we didn't know. And that is certainly what you did. Thank you so much, Jessica. You're welcome, Dr. Gina. All right, we have some lighter stories to go through here at the end of the show. And here to help out, Alex LaRusso. Alex, great to see you. Great to be here, Gina. Good to see you. <laughs> Thank you. Alex, something very interesting happened last night on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. If you haven't seen it, Jon Stewart apparently took some sort of red pill during the COVID pandemic. Watch. What do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, so this was, perhaps was, there's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab? There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I just don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they I, ask I, those scientists, they're like, how did this... So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no. I, you, you, the wait, name wait. of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, look at the name, can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Wait, okay, wait, okay. Wait a second, wait a second. What about this? What about this? Listen to this. Wait a second. 
All right. John. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. That could Alex, uh, is comedy back? Yeah, I was going to say it's about time. Uh, they're catching up to the rest of us who've been joking about the things like that for the past year. And instead of laughing about it, um, a lot of people have been deplatformed for making similar jokes or even being dead serious right. about the origins of the virus. Um, I mean, right. it, yeah, if we had more comedy like that, um, it would it would be like a whole different universe. I mean, it seems oh. like there has been like a flip, a switch flipped like two two months yeah. ago where people are saying, oh, it's it's from China now. And now the narrative has shifted. So. It seems comedy. Yeah, well, I guess now that we got the election out of the way and all that kind of stuff, then we can go ahead and just uh, tell the truth now. But anyway, Alex, it's almost the end of the show, and that means it's time for our meme of the day. Now, this meme says, Monday, white white supremacy is the greatest threat ever. Tuesday, Hunter Biden is caught using the N-word. Wednesday, global warming is the greatest threat ever. Alex, it's about right, don't you think? The left just changes the narrative depending on how they'd like to distract uh, the useful idiots, I guess, right? Yeah, it's just another uh, week in Biden's America, it seems. Um, I've seen various clips of him going up to the military and just changing what the greatest threat to America is. No mention of China, no mention of Russia. Uh, But, yeah, all of those things that we just listed are uh, the greatest threat to the United States. Global warming. It's a big threat, (laughs) even though, yeah, it's weather. Anyway, Alex Russo, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, And thanks also. Absolutely. And thanks also to you for joining me every night, to everyone here at your new home for Real News, RAV TV, Real America's Voice. We have Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene and Congressman Paul Gosar on tomorrow night, live from Studio 6B. Next, hug your children, love your God. You go boldly now and live the truth. Good night, everybody.